Alright, hi, this is Roland Fisher, lead pastor of Second City Church, and we hope that you're well. Welcome to our online service. We hope you leave today encouraged, full of faith, and ready to take the kingdom of God wherever you may go. But we just wanted you to know that we're so glad that you've chosen to join us today. And once again, welcome. All right, we are, hope that you're great today and again are so happy that you've chosen to join us for our service today. What we're doing today is we're continuing our series, our new series, which is entitled Free My Soul. And what we're really talking about, as you see in the image in the caption there, is we're talking about the baggage that we all have as we traverse this life and really uh, carry in our souls from which God wants to free us that we might actually live in the life abundant that Jesus Christ provided for us. Now, last week we talked about the baggage of judgments, that as we go throughout this world, we all have lenses through which we see others in this world. And the judgments that we place on people aren't always as right as we think they are. And God wants to deliver and free our souls so that we can serve him and him alone and love people out of the love that God himself has, in fact, showed us. Today, what we're doing is we're talking about our second topic, which we're asking God, again, to free our souls, not from judgments alone, but from triggers, from triggers, because how many of you know that we all have triggers or buttons that can be pressed by uh, people in our workplace, people in our neighborhoods, our communities, people, in fact, in our own homes that often set us off in ways that we don't want to actually be living. We'll, in fact, start living because of those triggers in the flesh rather than by the Spirit of God, which God called us to live by and thus producing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to dig into those triggers by focusing on this statement that we will in fact live in the freedom of God when we understand the triggers from which God wants to deliver us. We will live in the freedom of God as we are delivered from the triggers from which God wants to deliver us. And to speak about this today, we're going to break the message down into three parts. We're going to talk first about the fact that we need to be quick to listen quick to listen in all of our interactions with the world. We need to secondly be slow to speak. And then finally, we need to be slow to become angry so that we might actually produce the righteous life that God desires. And so as we talk about these things and before we do, let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us so that we might know you and that we might be once again formed and shaped into the image of your son. God, we pray that your word would sanctify us, cleanse us, and refine us today so that we might all, uh, not only be aware of the triggers that we have in our lives, but also be delivered of them so that we might love you and love others in the manner in which you've called us to. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay, so if you have a Bible today, why don't you open with me to James chapter 1. And we're going to start in verse 12. And so that you know, we're going to look at first the scripture in James, and then we're going to look at the words of Jesus himself. And we're starting in James because Jesus was declared with power by the Spirit of God and by his resurrection from the dead after his sacrificial death on the cross to be the unique Son of God. But he was also 100% human. Not only was Jesus divine, 100% God, but he was living in what was called the hypostatic union, where he was both 100% God and 100% man at the same time. And we know this because he was 
according to the scriptures, born of the Virgin Mary. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, was uh, overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. She conceived Jesus by the Holy Spirit and gave birth to him. Now, the thing about it is, is that not only did Mary give birth to Jesus, but the scripture clearly tells us that throughout Jesus' earthly life, he also had other brothers and sisters. And so Jesus wasn't the only child of Mother Mary. But what we see is that one of those brothers, the half-brother James, who was born not of the Holy Spirit, but he was born of Mary, the, um, Mary who was no longer a virgin, and Joseph, her husband that we heard about in Scripture, we see that James was the son of Mary and Joseph, and so thus was the half-brother of Jesus Christ. And so when Jesus is making these wild and audacious claims that he is in fact the unique son of God, this is what's powerful about it. We have eyewitness testimony to his sinless life by one of his own siblings that lived in his household with him. And as far as a defense of the faith, if you ever think about anybody who is going to either approve or discredit your claims to divinity it will be the people living in your own home. And we see that throughout Jesus' early life, James wasn't necessarily a believer in Jesus. He wasn't necessarily an adherent to his commands or his claims, but post his resurrection, with everything coming together, not only Jesus' sinless life, not only seeing his miracles, not only seeing his death on the cross for the sins of humanity, yours and mine, but also seeing Jesus' resurrection from the dead and being a part of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances over the course of 40 days prior to his ascension, James, the half-brother of Jesus, became a believer. And that's one of the greatest testimonies of the fact that this Jesus is in fact who the scripture said he is, the unique son of God to be sent by the Father to be the savior of the world. But James, whenever he had this eyewitness account of the sinless life of Jesus Christ, he knew that outside of Jesus, everyone had baggage and everyone had triggers in their lives from which God himself wanted to deliver them so that they can that he could bring them into the life abundant that Jesus Christ had for them. And he begins by talking about it in verse 12 of chapter 1. Read along with me if you would. It says, Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say, when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let everyone be quick to hear, 
slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. And thus the title of our series, Lord, Free My Soul. Now, when we see this uh, scripture here, again, the first thing that we're asking God to do is help us to be people who are quick to listen. And the reason that we need to be quick to listen in all of our lives is because there are triggers that have been produced in our souls because of the experiences that we've had. The experiences that we've had, whether good or bad. Many triggers that we experience are positive triggers, right? If you think about maybe some of your favorite smells, coming home to maybe your family's home and maybe a parent is cooking one of your favorite meals and immediately it triggers for you positive memories of times together and enjoying maybe holidays or festivals that you are enjoying together as a family. You may also have triggers of different sights or different music. How many of you have your old jam that you still rock to today that might have been part of your high school or college experience that they were pleasant times for you and they're attached in your mind neurologically to positive memories? Those are types of triggers that we have. But at the same time, we also all carry with us negative triggers because we live in a sinful, fallen world. And those triggers are many times produced not by positive experiences, but negative ones. And they are the product of sin in our own lives and sin expressed towards us by other people. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about the things that have really caused there to be such inflammation and such um, a blow up in our societal landscape over the past couple of years where people have triggers based on their experiences because of things like violations. People have triggers in them because of things like negative responses that were given to them by parents coaches, teachers, or even friends. We have negative responses or triggers in us because people have seen in the world things like sexism or things like uh, 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 xenophobia or things like racism or things like uh, socioeconomic bigotries where people look down on others of different socioeconomic statuses. And what I'm saying about triggers is that it works in both directions. People who have a good standing financially in life, looking down on those who may not have as much. And at the same time, people who do not have as much, having a, a, a trigger in their mind or, or judgments towards those who do have more financially or materially than them because they have a perception of who they think they are or been treated a certain way by those of that socioeconomic class. People who are uh, who claim racism all the time, not understanding that racism can go in both directions. People saying, if I'm a minority, I've been discriminated against in the society in which we live. And it produces a trigger when anything you experience smells or smacks of it. But in the same way, in response to that, you begin to label anyone who is not of the same ethnicity as somebody who's almost like an enemy and then 
then they in turn receive reverse discrimination or reverse racism from you. And then all of a sudden, we see that in the sex, um, in, in terms of sexism, people are obviously dealing with the gender clashes in the workplace and the equal pay for equal work uh, mantras and all types of discussions that are going on in the world. And why are they there? They're all a product of sin and people treating each other poorly when they've separated themselves from God, they treat one another poorly in the world. And when James is talking about these triggers that are produced in us because of the sin in the world, he talks about it in terms of the trials that we face. The triggers are a result of the trials that we experience. But God says very clearly through James this, first of all, I want you to be blessed, even in the midst of trial. But how are you to be blessed? He says, blessed is a man or woman who remains steadfast. Steadfast, steady. Not somebody who is blowing up here or there. Not somebody who uh, isolates themselves as much as possible from anybody who doesn't agree with them, look like them, or act like them. He's saying, blessed is the man who remains steadfast and steady under trial, for when he has stood the test, the testing of our patience, <laughs> the testing of our characters, the testing of our godliness, the testing of our devotion to the Lord, saying, God, I no longer live in this body of mine, as Paul said in Galatians 2.20, but the life that I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So I no longer have the rights I used to claim when I was a man without God. I'm a dead man walking now, and because of Jesus and the life that he's given me through his, uh, through his salvation and his resurrection from the dead, it's Christ that I want people to see whenever they interact with me. And the triggers that I used to give myself to because of the trials that I experienced, I no longer have a right to anymore. And he says, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, the testing of our patience, the testing of our, our character, the testing of our souls, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. Now, you might say to yourself, well, what does my love for God have to do with my triggers? Well, here's the thing about it. Anytime there is a trigger in you, when a button is being pushed in you, it is a test, people of God. You need to understand that anytime that a button is being pushed in you, something is triggering you, it is a test for how you will respond, whether in obedience to God's commands or disobedience. And remember, as we talk about over and over again, love for God is expressed through obedience to God's commands. And he says, the crown of life, which God will promise it's for those who love him, who say, you know what, no matter what triggers me or what st sets off that, that um, mind in the minefields of my interactions with people in the world, I am still going to choose to represent Jesus in my interactions with others. And Jesus must be seen, has to be seen in this test if I'm going to actually prove myself a disciple and not just fend for my own rights.
And he says, let no one say in the middle of these things that God is the author of those triggers or God is the author of the evil that poses a, or forms a trigger in you because of some form of violation experience or some sort of negative interaction that you've had with others. But he says that understand this, that the temptations that come to respond in godless manners come when the evil desires of our own hearts are given full vent and those desires turn into sin where we feel like we've got to have revenge. We've got to be, let people know or have a piece of our minds. We've got to disparage others as others have disparaged us, which is contrary to the gospel. Where Jesus said to, if somebody strikes you on one cheek, Turn to him the other also, not so that you can be a glutton for beating, but that you might show them the grace that you yourself have received in Christ and then also offer to them in turn. He says, these are the things that are tests to us, but show us that from which we actually need to be healed. We need to be quick to listen to others because instead, when we're actually not quick to respond, but quick to listen to others, then it's actually showing us by the triggers that come to the surface that from which God actually wants to heal us. The positive triggers are just pleasant and good, and we applaud them. But the negative triggers, why we need to pay attention to them and be quick to listen rather than respond is because they show us the pain points in our lives that God wants us to come to him with that we might, in fact, be healed. And this is why he immediately starts going into the things talking about every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of heavenly lights who doesn't change like the shifting shadows. God is faithful. God himself is steady. He doesn't just call us to be steady in the triggers that we experience, but he calls us to be steady as well, just as he is steady. And he says, I'm faithful as you come to me. This is part of the power of the gospel. He can heal our souls, which means our minds, our wills, our emotions that have been damaged by the sin in the world that we've participated in and that we've also been a recipient of. We see that he says he does not change. He does not shift, but he's brought us through invitation by the word of truth, by the word of truth into a new life, a salvation that we might be the first fruits of creatures that are made to look like him. But when we do look like him, he says, you're going to look like this. Verse 19, that every person who looks like him is going to be first quick to hear. Quick to hear. Now, why is being quick to hear so important to God? Well, it's important because when we know that we're all walking through a set of minefields in life and in society that we know, in this world, we are left here not only to be disciples of Jesus, but to make disciples of Jesus. That's a great commission of Matthew 28. And let me tell you, so many Christians are prevented from doing so because they live out of their triggers rather than out of the Great Commission, the great offenses that they have in life rather than the Great Commandment. 
And what we see is God says, listen, I'm going to alleviate that and once again position you in a place of power. Power that comes from humility. Power that comes from service. Power that comes from love. When you, in fact, are not led and governed by your triggers, but instead you will go to God to be healed of them, and then you live in response to other people being quick to listen. Now, why is this important? Because if even when you are loving and making disciples of those who would otherwise be your enemies, God says to build bridges to the truth of God, you must know where they're coming from. You must actually know where the people are that God's trying to reach through your life. And if we don't listen to people, then we'll never, number one, have the platform to actually have them hear from us the truth of God that should be exemplified and then come from our lips by proclamation. But number two, we won't understand what needs to actually be addressed in their lives because just as we have triggers, they have triggers too that God wants to heal. And God's saying everyone should be slow, I'm sorry, quick to hear because it's in the hearing that the bridges are built. When the Apostle Paul talked about making disciples of the nations in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he said, I have become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might win as many as possible. Now, when he made that statement, he's not at all saying that he became like people in their actions, but he is saying that he became like them in their understanding of things. He understood where they were coming from, and the only way that he was able to do that is first by being one who is quick to listen. Quick to listen, and not quick to discount what other people thought of as legitimate. It does not mean that everything that people say is true. Remember, again, we talked about the fact in James that God has chosen to bring us forth by the word of truth, which is found in the Bible, the scripture. So God's word about every facet of life, God's truth is found in his word. But when people have their own truths, right? People talk about speaking their own truths in this world today. We don't legitimize it as necessarily fact, but it is what they perceive to be truth in their experience. And so we need to hear them to be able to build bridges so that they might be able to handle the weight of the word of truth that's being preached out of this word. What that means very practically is the greater the truth that you need to deliver to someone, the greater the bridge that you need to establish between yourself and them so that they might be able to hear that truth. The greater the truth, the stronger the bridge needs to be. And the only way that you're able to build those bridges is through being quick to listen. You've heard the adage before that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And people many times know how much you care 
through the listening. Many times people don't realize that others are just in pain around them today. In pain. And God comes into that pain. And here's the profound thing. Think about what prayer is. When people call out to God and God says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What is prayer? It is God himself coming into people's pain, hearing it, being quick to listen, and then in response to listening to their pain, providing the truth and the salvation that they need to set them free. And then he sends you and I as disciples of Jesus out to be emissaries, to be a part of that same healing and salvation through his gospel, being proclaimers of his gospel. But it comes as we first are quick to listen. But he says that if we're only living by our triggers, then we won't have an ear for other people in their pain. Are we approving of the sin that people are living in? Absolutely not. Are we approving of the wrong that people have committed against us or against others? Absolutely not. Are we approving of our own sin that we've committed against others? Absolutely not. But the only solution to this, God says, of being freed of our in our souls from our baggage, from our triggers, is being people who are quick to listen. Secondly, he says, not just being quick to listen, but being slow to speak. Slow to speak. You see, that's a big issue that I've had to work on over the years. And tell me if you're with me, people of God. Tell me if you're with me that sometimes then you're in a conversation, even with a loved one, and you may have something called a disagreement. <laughs> Others might call them arguments. I don't know what that is. Not in my vernacular. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but in the midst of those heated moments, a lot of times what we're doing is we're just waiting for the other person to shut up so that we can get our point across. We haven't heard, in fact, what they had to say. We're just waiting to speak to actually prove them wrong. It is a trigger in us, right? And we somehow think that if we could just like, you know, glaze over for a period of time until they finally run out of breath and then boom, here's my point, that we're somehow doing the right thing. But that's not being slow to speak. Being slow to speak, according to God, is actually hearing with the eyes and the ears and the understanding of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 11, we don't have time to get into it right now, but it would be a good one for everybody to reference. Isaiah chapter 11, it spoke about the Son of God himself who didn't hear only with, he didn't judge by what his eye saw alone or what his ears heard. But it said with righteousness he was to judge the poor of the earth, meaning he looked beneath the surface to see what was really going on in people's hearts and minds. What was really driving them? What pain was it? What triggers did they have that were causing them to act the way that they were? What is it that God wanted to heal that he actually needed to touch? If you looked at Jesus and how he responded to people over and over again in the Gospels, they came to him with one question, but he answered something completely different. He said, ultimately, the real issue is the sin in your life that I want you to repent of, turn from, and then come and follow me so that I might set you free. But if we're 
quick to listen, and then slow to speak, then we'll be able to, by the Spirit of God, actually discern the real issue. Not just what's coming off of people's mouth, mouths, not just the way that they're acting, which is a lot of times just acting up out of the pain that they have, but instead what we'll be able to do is say, you know what, God, because you've healed my heart, I first come to you myself to get healing from my own pain. Now I have the power and the freedom to actually be slow to speak. So like a surgeon led by your hands and by your word, I can actually address that which is really going on in someone's life. And when I am slow to speak, I can have precision the precision of the Holy Spirit, and preserve those bridges that will once again lead people steadily, step by step, to the truth of the cross and the resurrection life of Christ. But I need to also be not just slow to speak, but slow to become angry. And really, at the end of the day, he says anger doesn't bring about the righteous life that God desires. Why? Because when I am heated, hot-headed, I lack often self-control, and in those moments, I end up sinning rather than doing what's good. I end up burning those bridges that should be leading people to salvation rather than actually building them to actually see people reconciled not only with God, but also me, reconciled with one another. We need to be slow to become angry, is what this, uh, James said. Slow to become angry in our interactions with others. And the only way that we can do that, at verse 21, he says, is by putting away filthiness and rampant wickedness and receiving with meekness, which meant not weakness, but a controlled strength. Receiving with meekness the implanted, once again, word of God, which is able to save our souls. Now, whenever we talk about triggers and being slow to become angry, I think of another uh, encounter that Jesus, the Son of God, had with some of the religious people of his day. Whenever they were uh, talking about how to walk out this faith in him, and they were surrounded by all types of external things that they thought justified them before God. They would have said things in their day, things like cleanliness is next to godliness, or God helps those who help themselves, which aren't actually scriptural things. They're things that people made up in reference to their understanding of God. But when these people had a detachment from God himself, but they had a form of religion without actually the power of a transformed life, they actually found themselves interacting with others who needed Jesus in ways that were harsh and judgmental and angry even, <laughs> angry even, burning those bridges between themselves and others and the people and God because they had triggers of their own, religious triggers that needed to be addressed, not realizing that they had sin in their own lives that, they needed, to be that needed to be dealt with. And Jesus, when he interacted with them, he turned the tables so that they can see in a mirror what was actually going on in their hearts. 
what was causing those religious triggers, and in fact, what Jesus needed to deal with in their hearts so that they might go free, so that they in fact might be disciples who were free to make disciples of others of the Lord. And in Matthew chapter 15, we see Jesus addressing the Pharisees. And again, the Pharisees were the religious leaders of the day that Jesus was often in contention with and had to rebuke because of the misappropriation of his work or the distortion of God's heart that they were communicating to the world. And in verse 1, it said this, Then the Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat. So all of a sudden, they had their very precise and meticulous ways of worship. They had their precise and meticulous ways of doing things before God. And you can imagine them getting angry when they saw Jesus' disciples not washing their hands before they eat. Angry and coming with accusation to Jesus. Why don't your disciples wash their hands when they eat? And Jesus, verse 3, answered them. And why do you break the commandment of God for the sake of your traditions. For God commanded, honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if anyone tells his father or his mother, what you would have gained from me is given to God, he need not honor his father. So for the sake of your tradition, you have made void the word of God. You hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you when he said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear and understand, it is not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of the mouth that uh, out of the mouth. This defiles a person. Then the disciples came to him. Do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? He answered, Every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be rooted up. Let them alone. They are blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. But Peter said to him, Explain this parable to us. And he, meaning Jesus, said, Are you still without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. And so what you see is that Jesus was turning religiosity on its head. People felt justified in their anger towards sinful humanity for their fallenness. But Jesus was saying, you who are judging other people by your religious triggers, do you not realize what's coming out of your own heart? The Evil thoughts, the murder, meaning the hatred, the adultery, the sexual morality, the theft, the false witness, the slander. These are actually what defile you. But you're getting angry so quickly with others in the midst of their sin. 
So what is Jesus' solution? He says, don't be quick to get angry because it doesn't produce the righteous life that God desires. But then understand that God's saying, I want to deal with you first, cleanse you by my word and the Holy Spirit. And then in the freedom that I give you from your own triggers, you might be involved in all of these old things like evil thoughts, or adultery because of what you were exposed to since you were yay high, the pornography and the illicit relationships that you saw modeled in your own parental lineage. You might be struggling to see life differently because of that and have triggers of your own towards these things. You might have slander in your heart because that's all you ever heard in your home. People being torn down and you tearing down others. And God's saying, this is a trigger and a trap that anytime you hear somebody who crosses your will, your immediate response is to tear their reputation down and slander them. But it has formed a root of sin in your own life that has kept you bound and God wants to now set you free that you might see clearly to see other people set free by the same word of truth. But he says it doesn't start with others and their triggers, it starts with you. What triggers you is that which God actually wants to heal. And he says, be honest, don't be quick to get angry, but instead be humble. Receive the word that's planted in you so that you might in fact be saved. And so that's where we're going to end with today, saying, God, free my soul. Free my soul from the triggers that are actually showing me not just the sin in others, but the sin in my own heart. And show me the things that you want to free me from so that I might walk in the freedom of who you've called me to be and what you've called me to do. That I might actually be a disciple who makes disciples in Jesus' mighty name. And so let me end by praying for us today. Praying and let's go to God together today. Because God, free us, free our souls from the hurts, the pains, the violations that we've experienced, that we might identify and be healed of the triggers as we come to you and then have the freedom from our sin to walk, proclaiming the word of life to others who also need that salvation. So I'm going to first pray for my brothers and sisters, then I'm going to give everyone an opportunity to respond to Jesus Christ for the first time today. Father, we thank you so much for your word to us today, and we thank you that you've given it to us so that we might see you clearly and walk with you in the liberty that you've called us to. And I'm asking that you would help my brothers and sisters today to be disciples who make disciples by first being quick to listen, slow to speak, and then finally slow to become angry. God, what we find as triggers in our lives, may we run to you with them, that we might actually come and receive the, uh, the balm of Gilead, the healing that the Holy Spirit and the Word of God has for us in our lives. And God, when we see those triggers, may we also be aware of our own sin, that which has been lying in plain sight in our own lives, the sexual morality, the adultery, the slander, the hatred, towards others. And God, would you set us free from those things as well, that we might be free to love you and love others as you've commanded us to do. God, we thank you for your freedom and we worship you today in Jesus' name. And for anybody who says, you know what, I've never given my life to the Lord. I've been maybe in religious circles like these Pharisees, but I've never, like Jesus said, been somebody that God himself has planted. 
I've just been around the things of God, but God has not himself made me a new creation. And I know if I was to stand before God in judgment today, I would have to answer for all these evil thoughts, adulteries, immoralities, thefts, false witness and slander that comes out of not other people, but my own heart. But I say, God, I don't want to receive your judgment, but today I want to come into right relationship with you through Jesus Christ and his cross. If that's you, would you pray this prayer with me? Almighty God, I admit to you today that I have been a sinner. It's not just that I've been sinned against, but God out of my own heart has come a plethora of sins. And I know that if I were to stand before you today in judgment, I would deserve death and hell, but I don't want it. And God, would I, you please forgive me my sins today. I believe that you sent Jesus, the sinless son of God, to live the life that I should have lived. And on the cross, die the sacrificial death that I should have died in my place. And three days later, because of his innocence, was raised from the dead so I could have not only that forgiveness, but new life in you. God, would you make me a new creation today? Would you plant me in your word and in your house today? I say Jesus is my Lord, and I ask you to teach me to love you as you've loved me from this point forward. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to continue to talk about these matters in our community groups this week. So if you've not yet found one, please do go to our website where you can find both in-person and virtual options. We'll be praying for you, so let us know how we can be standing with you. And also think about how you can share this link with others who also need to be spurred on by the grace of God towards them. Uh, do invite those same people with you to our service next week. And until then, have a wonderful week in the Lord. God bless you. We love you. And we'll see you soon.